Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey, everybody out there in internet land, it's Brian House here for Housework, and welcome to episode number three of Work For It, a podcast where we discuss all the projects we've got going on in our studios and workshops. We bring people into our studios and workshops, and we discuss and learn all about them. I am joined, as always, by my guy, Mr. Trent Hill. Howdy. And uh, today we actually have somebody in our studio. Her name is Renoa, and you are, you are going to get to know her a little bit better. Uh, I've got some really cool stories about getting to know her and uh, connecting with her on the internet. So it, uh, it should uh, be a, a really jam-packed, cool show. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the projects we've got coming up and what I've got going on in the studio. But first and foremost, uh, I want to introduce Renoa. Renoa, tell us a little bit about you and what you do and uh, how we can find you on the internet. Um, I am not interesting in any way at all, ever. However, I do do things that are interesting sometimes, but I'm not very interesting. <laughs> I disagree, but okay, go ahead. I, I don't. I, it's weird because right now I, I've been doing YouTube for a decade, and usually I'm good at bullshitting to the camera, but uh, right now I have a hard time speaking. This is interesting because I'm in some. I'm doing someone, but your video you know usually yeah. i'm like the mastermind so i feel like oh how am i supposed to do this you're just supposed to be yourself and i'm just gonna lead you in the directions and you can talk about whatever's going on i know this is amazing well i'm just waking up from a nap so i'm a little bit impaired i, I love naps by the way i think that's a great thing uh i'm i'm 43 years old and i think if i could take a nap once a day i'd be way more productive they're highly underrated to- yeah totally i think people need to work on how to take naps not necessarily quick naps but like an hour-long nap can really help you at the end of the day whenever i was building my workshop so i have a youtube channel where i i i just I, it's mostly just following my random experiments and such I, I used every so often i dip back and forth between trying to do it professionally and then it's like well it's just videos it doesn't really that matter that much i should just not make not make too much of it and just have fun doing things but uh, every so often I do get big upgrades. And a while back I built a big workshop. And the only way I could really get through it was to just take like a two or three hour nap every evening. It always also coincided when it was ho- hottest. But yeah, I, I could not do anything without a nap now. I think uh, getting back to what you were saying about your flow on YouTube and why, I, and I think you're going to find this interesting because it's like a third party sort of look at yourself. I, I'm always interested to hear like what people tell me about how they see me and so on. So it's like kind of not narcissistic, but like it feeds the ego a little bit, but I'm really not like stroking you in any way. I just want you to know like in, in actual. Um, so, okay. So I'm going to go backwards a little bit to tell the audience how I ran into you. 
And this is how it happens on the internet, right? So I'm doing work with stabilizing wood and I, uh, I'm like a moron. I sucked some, uh, stabilizing resin up into my, uh, my, my vacuum pump. Ooh. And, uh, so yeah. So, um, and, and, and even further, uh, let me further my moronic attitude. I was like, Oh, it'll run fine. Eh, it's just a little <laughs> resin. It, it's not a big deal. Da, da, da. Well, meanwhile, resin cures when it gets warm. Yep. And what's the inside of a vacuum chamber? Uh, it, it gets warm. So, or a vacuum pump, it gets warm, right? So, of course, it fails, right? And I'm like, ah, you know, I would like to rebuild this. I'm just like anybody else that does the DIY thing. I love to rebuild things and figure out how they work. And I never had taken apart a vacuum pump before. So I you go on YouTube, of course, and I type in, you know, vacuum pump rebuild or whatever, and I come across one of your videos. And it's just you uh, showing some modifications that you did and adding like a filter and kind of a bypass so that if something like where that were to happen in the future, you know, the, the stuff would go into it instead of into the pump. Anyway. Was that the one where I where I got that old pressure cooker and made it into a, a vacuum chamber? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's like basically your hands. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't see who you are. It just you're talking and you're 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 showing the modifications. It's kind of like almost every other video you do, which is mm-hmm. very um, just like you set up a camera and you just say, "This is what I'm doing right now." And well, it's I, in the title. You don't really have to say too much. I yeah. already know you're getting. To, you know exactly. But what I found fascinating was. On YouTube, what happens is, is as you know, the algorithm sort of pushes you in a niche and it forces you to go there. Well, you've managed somehow to kind of get around that by just throwing up whatever kind of content you can put up there. And I think the re- reason why you've gotten such a following, which, by the way, she's just under 100,000 subscribers. So if you're listening to this, go to the show notes and check out Renoa's Auspicious Travails. I'll put a link down below so you can click through and find her. Actually, and I noticed I notice that you're just a hair under twenty thousand subscribers, which is a I good am. achievement too. Yeah, yeah, I'm, that's I'm worthy like, of a pizza or something. A pe- yeah, something or or at least an attaboy from YouTube, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, they used to give away those big plaques and stuff when you'd hit certain milestones. I know now they don't do it as often. I think it's like you got to get a hundred thousand, but you'll yeah. get that plaque when you when you get it. So S- sadly, um, they they made the plaque really boring looking now. I know it's just like a. It took me ten years to get there. It's like, yeah. Yeah, can't you put like like bedazzle it or something? I mean, we could we could do something fun with it, right? Uh, I know a lot of people like destroy them, cut them in half, and do all kinds of weird stuff with them. But uh, so anyway, so if you if you Google her, you'll find it. It's R I N O A, and the minute you type that in, because she has such a unique name, you'll find her on Google as well. So anyhow, the the reason why I think I resonated with your video work was because I had been doing the same thing for a long time, just kind of setting up a camera and working. And then recently, within the last six months to a year, I decided to get more focused and, uh, you know, my bring my production value like really up. And, and then I got way burnt out on doing that. Uh, and it was not sustainable. It's a cycle. You go yeah, through that. I think you're right. I think, I'll, I'll, you know, maybe another couple of months I might get back into it. But I just started doing what you did because I, I looked at your work and the body of your work, which is 1900 plus videos deep. Yeah. It's unbelievable Across, like, to nine watch. channels. <laughs> Yeah. And you can watch you basically grow up. I mean, through that, those phases, mm-hmm. you know, it's really kind of cool. And then also what I think I really like 
is that you are 100% transparent. You do not edit much out. You kind of show the the victories and the failures. Makes and makes a lot of people hate me, but well, they they're free to do that. That's yeah, but it it just show goes to show you like all these people creating content online how much you don't see, you know, mm. behind the scenes, you know, the um, carefully curated life. Yeah. It, like, it like for instance, so how fake. recently I, I was tinkering with my bandsaw and extending it. And I got a piece of a two by four to the jaw. Cause I put it on like the, the opposite side. And well, I just didn't really think that it would do that. I, and now I know it's a very well one lesson, but I guess a lot of people wouldn't upload that. But because I upload that, I seem like an outsider that looks like an idiot that is not a, a bandsaw. And so, I, and like a couple, there, there are a few people to, uh, what are they called? Safety sallies that they're like, Oh, you don't know anything about this. You, you shouldn't have even been allowed to touch that machine or whatever. It's like, well, you learn a hard way, you know? Yeah. I, I, one of my videos that actually went viral, it's got, uh, like a half a million views on it is a, is a video of my son and I mounting LED lights in our garage. And, uh, I uh, mistakenly, or I was ignorant. I didn't know. I used the wrong kind of electrical junction box to rewire the outlet in my attic. And my favorite comment, this is when I was like, wait a minute, is this real? No way. So this this video goes viral. Like one morning I woke up and had like 600 YouTube notifications on my phone. It was wild. And I get this comment from this guy and he's like, you are such a moron. You need to immediately sell all of your tools and never touch anything mechanical or electrical again. I hope your house burns down and your family is killed. And I'm not, I, and I was like, what are you? It was unbelievable. And I, I left it there because I'm like, there's just no way this is real. And this guy, I mean, he legit just thought I was going to kill my family by using the wrong junction box in my attic when I wired up a lamp. It was, it was unbelievable. A lot of those people tend to have more theoretical understanding of the world, not so much a practical understanding of the world. Like, for instance, I used to work at Apple managing rapid prototyping labs, and there would be a lot of people coming in from university, like uh, engineering students and stuff like that. And I even had people from NASA. How can you have a degree in engineering and not know how to drill a hole? Like they, they didn't like I had to teach them how to use some machines and such. And it occurred to me they have more of a theoretical or abstract understanding of things and not so much an actual practical understanding of things. Whereas another person that I knew who like managed uh, several teams, he um, I don't think he ever really went to high and went to college or anything, but he'd he'd like rebuilt so many lathes and stuff. He came from more of a large machinery background, but he just he just kind of started doing it and he just kept doing it. And by the time I knew him, he was 50 years old and he had this long trail of an, an interesting jobs and he could just kind of do anything. But I could also see how someone like me or him who didn't have like formal training, we do have different, definite like shortfalls or whatever lacking in whatever the theoretical or abstract training is. But for the most part, experience just is pretty good. I don't I know totally where I was going agree. with that. <laughs> now, you know what it reminds me of is the, uh, you remember the far side comics? Mm -hmm. You ever see those? And Gary it's like Larson. a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the kid at the school of the gifted and it says pull on the door handle <laughs> and he's pushing, pushing push, to try to get push in. harder. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of that because I, I, I agree with you. There's so many people that have niche, they have understandings of very minute granular things 
And they, and then of course, somebody along the line, probably their mother told them that they're very, very smart and they're very, very special. And that they, you know, so now they, they have to gift uh, all of us content creators on YouTube with their, um, their knowledge and experience with all of their negativity or safety stuff or whatever it is. So I, I have learned to love my haters, you know, the people that get on there and kind of, uh, uh, you know, put the screws to me a little bit and, and kind of go after me. I, had I don't a, love them. I hate their guts. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> there's a, di- so you- there's a difference, Brian, between, you know, the guy that's just trying to shit on your parade and somebody who's virulently hateful like that guy that you mentioned that's just that's unacceptable that's not acceptable in polite society it's not acceptable on social media like that's a person who has like mental issues i think there's also an, an issue where people don't know how to properly give criticism or something they, they think all criticism should be valuable even if it has no substance for instance i regularly get people telling me i don't know what i'm doing i am wrong well then whenever i ask them how am i wrong they just reply, I, sh- I shouldn't have to tell you why you're wrong. It's like, well, well, then I'm not going to listen to you because you're just insulting and complaining. And then they reply like, well, it's, it's just criticism. Well, not all criticism is helpful. Most criticism is not helpful. Trent has a, uh, an interesting take on that. We discussed this in one of the other episodes about finding a solution and, and people very rarely ever have them. You know, we tell people like, hey, if you're going to come at us with certain situations or or you want to criticize us, please bring a solution. And then we have a discourse about it and we all learn from that. Instead, it feels more like a power play or, you know, maybe they're having a crappy day or whatever it is and they want to take it out on someone. There's enough negativity in the world, you know, so. If and I genuinely use the wrong box. That's the thing, I, and I learned from it. But uh, yeah, it was. It, it, I, I ended up uh, replacing the box, and you know, my family's okay, everything's all right. But uh, yeah, I learned a lot from that experience and being on YouTube and watching the uh, the trolls kind of come out. And and for the most part, I now just ignore them because I can't. Uh, if you respond to them, they just keep going. Yeah, don't don't feed the trolls and. They literally come out of the woodwork. I, I think it's I've actually I've actually been surprised because since the pandemic started and so many people have lost their jobs, I'm actually surprised there's not more trolling going on because you have a lot of deeply unhappy unhappy people. Um, I definitely noticed a lot more trolling. Oh, have you? Oh yeah, like twice as much more, a lot more anger. Yeah, I'm noticing it too. Mm-hmm. I'm noticing the anger. It's it. Uh, in particular, I had an, a case, I won't say his name cause he's a customer of mine, but he, uh, he bought my plans for the two by 72. And of course, you know, there's been numerous issues along the line while he's been building it. And I've been sort of helping him along, holding his hand and, you know, assisting him. And then I got a blast, man. He just put me on blast last night, basically calling my plans a dumpster fire and all this stuff and all of his problems would have been solved if he just stopped looking at the photos and actually read the, the, you know, so, you know, I have to sort of gently highlight the text and say, well, see, you jumped, you went to the photo and you didn't read the manual. There's this thing in, in the tech world, RTFM, right? <laughs> so, yeah. uh, read the F and manual. And, and because he didn't do that, he jumped to conclusions and then I'm the bad guy. And it was like, oh, and it was a lesson in patience. And I could tell the guy's hurting a little bit. You know, I could tell that it's 
there's something else going on and I'm, I'm not the problem. You know, it, it's, this has been going on for a while now. And I'm like, literally dude, hundreds of people have built this grinder hundreds and not one of them has had this problem. It, it's, it's what's going on with how you're interpreting the plans. And uh, so, Hey, it is what it is. We rise to the top. It's okay. And I don't mind helping and I don't mind kind of bringing somebody with me if, if, as long as they're willing. If if they're fighting me the whole way, then I'm just like you're on your own. What's you know, I got, is, I've got three kids of my own. I don't need another one. Yeah, I don't. Need this to. is oh, go ahead. This is the problem. Whenever you sell a product that requires some level of competency to somebody that does not have any competency, and so like this is why I'm never going to sell plans. I'm even like feeling like I'm pushing it, uh, tr- wanting to sell mallets where you have to stick the handle <laughs> through the head because I know there's going to be some moron who cannot figure out which direction to put the handle under the head and say it doesn't fit oh, whenever yes. it's it's a it's a wedge shape you put it in the small end first and it'll be in there but i know for a fact there's going to be someone that'll put it upside down or cut the end off or whatever and they'll say it doesn't fit anymore right yeah it's a hundred percent agree you will run into that <laughs> yeah it's a it's not a unique cultural phenomenon but it's it's amazing that it's it's one of the re- reasons that I've been reluctant to start a channel. Brian and I have discussed this a little, but he's kind of pushing me in that direction, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a go. But I, my issue is that I am not really a patient person. I will go out of my way to help somebody, and I will do whatever is within my power to facilitate an enjoyable experience. Uh, but I have zero patience for stupidity and ignorance. And I'm probably going to have to shut off comments on my channel for a while. If somebody starts being a troll, just because I, you know, I've discussed this with Brian, I have a tongue that cuts both ways. And I realized that if you use it on someone, it affects you. But I just, you know, there's the difference between being able to take criticism, like Renoa said, and, being put on blast like brian said and i i i will not tolerate that shit um and it's not because i think that everybody's stupid no i realize that everybody is at different levels of competency uh different levels of capability you know we all have different skills and abilities brian knows way more tech computer pc network kind of stuff than i even have a clue about uh and Vice versa, you know, I know more about how to manufacture a product or how to tweak so that it's easier to manufacture. But what I <laughs> what I don't have are the soft skills required to deal with somebody that uh, what's that German word? It's one of my favorites. Buckfeifengesicht. It that's one of your favorite words. Yes, but I love it. It it literally means the whistling sound that is made when you smack someone across the face. <laughs> oh, I've heard of that before. <laughs> and, and that's that's the part of me that I have to control, not because I'm violent, but because right. that's that's I think that's a pretty natural human response. When somebody comes at you sideways and you don't know where they're coming from, you know, there's two ways to deal with it. You can internalize it or you can give it back to them. 
I've dealt with adversity my whole life. I've always been the kid that never joined the groups. Like we've talked about in other episodes, or I would turn my back to the group and in, uh, in first and second grade. I don't even remember doing this, but it's been a overarching theme of my life where I don't join the pack. I just never have, and and it's nothing against the pack. I, I like the pack, and and they can do what they want. But the it for me, I've just always been the guy, you know, dreaming, looking out the window. And what that brings with it is because people don't, if they don't resonate with you, if you don't resonate with them, what happens is there's this weird kind of fear that's put in people. They're like, you're not like me and I want you to be like me. So, uh, you know, I'm going to either change you, but through ridicule and through, you know, some sort of negative uh, atmosphere, or I'm going to ignore you completely or ostracize you and put you on the fringe. And, uh, you know, hey, my whole life I've been that way. And I think a lot of people that have the, the kind of minds that we all have, which are, you know, curious minds, people that are constantly working and doing. And and again, I'll go back to Renoa's channel, Trent, because I will say that if you watch her channel, what you'll see is someone who is unencumbered by the ability to have, like, I'm sure there's a little bit of that where you're thinking, Renoa, about the people watching, but I have a hard time seeing it. Like, I think it's almost as if like you're talking to me directly, like I'm watching you on your channel and I'm seeing what you're doing, whether like in this last uh, video, you had something really interesting come up in your yard where you have a a well and you decided that you're just going to see what's in it, you know, and break it apart and go down into it. That well project kind of escalated quicker than I thought. I thought I'd just break the cover off and, oh, there's a bunch of rock in the next video I have to do that. I didn't expect to, like, get nine feet down and find a washing machine and whatever, (laughs) like, one evening. It's so, it was such a great experience to be there with you to experience what you're doing. And I think that's the beauty behind your work. And I think that's why a lot of people subscribe to your channel and watch your channel and engage with you online because, there's a lot of people that want to do that stuff, but they're not going to take a pickaxe and break apart a four inch thick slab of concrete in their backyard just to find out what's underneath it. You know? Now, uh, granted, it was not a pickaxe. It was a spike mall from ah, a railroad. Spike mall. Uh-huh. Sorry about that. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, Yeah, that's a different level of curiosity than I think that most people are gifted with. I'm, well, I, I've been. Oh, sorry. I went. No, no. Uh, I was just saying, I was just scrolling through your catalog and you have some, you have some varied interests, but they kind of fit into like specific categories. You're not, you're not necessarily scattered all over. You're, you're, you're kind of uh, circling the drain on each of your interests. Well, the thing is, you're probably only checking on my main channel. Anytime I have a new interest, I just make another channel. I have this like long trail of like somewhat dead like mostly dead youtube channels that i just kind of feed every few every few years a couple of them actually have grown too like my second channel is about thirty four thousand subscribers and i just i just neglected it but it keeps growing so and i find that when was the last time you contributed to it oh maybe a month ago okay a couple weeks ago that's awesome yeah for a while i did like daily videos on it uh, whenever I had my gender transition, I I did from like uh, day one to day four hundred, just because I know I know I I wouldn't be able to talk about my own. Um, I wouldn't be able to analyze my own 
uh, personality enough to actually give much information. But if I made a video just talking about the random thoughts of my day from that day, every single day, you could maybe see a difference, like an evolution in my character, which, you know, whenever I reached 25, I realized I feel a lot less mature than I would expect to be. I feel like I'm seven years behind, which is the seven years that I tried male uh, puberty, which was a total failure. But, you know, I, I just couldn't really get with it. Like, I could physically change, but I couldn't mentally change. But then whenever I tried gender transition, you know, well, let's try female puberty or whatever. It's like, oh, this is entirely different. I was finally, within like a few months, I was starting to get a more mature uh, emotional state and everything. And looking back, well... Whenever you look back, would you say that there's a barrier in your memories, like maybe late teens or before that, you're a child, and after that, you're an adult? Would you say that's kind of a, a thing where yeah. it's like a marker in your memories? I'd say that's fair. I never had that until age 22. Like, I could look back, um, well, until I got a little bit into gender transition, I could look back one year or 20 years, and I felt like I was, it was uh, on the same continuum. There really wasn't that much different, especially past age uh, 13 or 14 I really stopped growing up then and well then whenever around 21 22 when I started transition I actually was able to grow up more and I changed a lot as a person and it's funny I actually had another friend tell me that I, I grew up a lot through my videos because my videos started um well okay I've been making videos since like 1999 but I haven't uploaded any of those I have a mountain of VHS tapes of exploring the railroad tracks and everything is good. But um, I really, I, my, my YouTube channel has a few years of before my transition. And of course, the YouTube channel got me the job at Apple, which is kind of funny, which allowed me to, to get away from this crap hole state that didn't have any like doctors that well, because all the doctors here are Catholic, and they're like, oh, that's that's a, a heretic thing if you want to transition. And uh, so I was thankful. So that coincided with that. And so you can also see, like, my change a lot. And one of my my friends uh, recently mentioned that uh, before, before I mentioned that I felt like I've grown up a lot, like a delayed uh, growing up. Because I, I feel like where I should have been when I'm when I was 19 but I'm 27. I feel like I should have, it was like eight years. I should have been here when I was back then, but I was kind of delayed in, uh, like in my maturity. And uh, yeah, my, my friend just mentioned that I, that I happened to, to seem like I, I grew up around the age of 24 or 25 instead of 15 or 16. And I was like, well, yeah, that, that actually coincides with something with, with what I realized. And I realized that when I turned 25, because I, I felt 17 instead of 25. Well, I mean, I feel 25, but I mean, the maturity that I expected, because as a kid, I would, I would think forward of like what, what I would expect to be and what the capabilities I'd expect to be. I think, oh, I, when I'm 19, I'll have a lathe and a workshop and a lab with unlimited funding. I, I used to say that as a kid, like, I want to have a, you know, my own laboratory with unlimited funding. Well, I got that at age 22 <laughs> at Apple. That's so cool. That's well, a, and, and, well, and tell me how how did the YouTube channel facilitate the job at Apple? Because I I don't know this story. Okay, so well, actually, maybe we should just go further back into when I created the the version of me called Renoa. Should we just go back to that? Of and, course, absolutely. Okay. Give us so, the origin story. All right. So I was a weird kid 
And I grew up in a town, Panama, Illinois, eight miles from anywhere, uh, no friends because, well, they're just filled with old people. And my mom decided to homeschool me, which was a really great thing because, honestly, thinking back, I actually had a really good childhood because most of my days were spent a few hours doing ho uh, homeschooling. And then my mom just let me do my own um, uh, science and a couple other things because I had my own library growing up, a bunch of old library books. And I would spend like five or six hours a day out in the, the woods bringing old televisions back and stuff like that. And I crack them open and mess with them. And me and my dog Chowder, which, you know, I, I wouldn't go into the woods alone. I'd have my dog with me and, and a walkie talkie. But, um, it, it really was lucky that I didn't have to deal with any of the, cause from what I understand, American, uh, schooling is quite a nightmare. Although we did live in Switzerland for a little bit, but I was, I didn't go to any schooling over there. That was a weird little thing. My mom and, my mom and dad had a, had a falling out around 1995 or so. And my mom was really into computers and she did online dating in 1995 and she met someone in Switzerland. And so she went over there and she actually worked at the Nestle plant and she was, uh, her job was updating their computers from DOS to Windows 3.1 for a while, but that didn't really work out too well. So my mom and dad hooked back up and we came back here. But, um, so yeah, I had a really neat little childhood. I actually like that I didn't have to deal with all of the, you know, cause from what I can tell, school in the United States and probably everywhere else is not a, it's kind of like a traumatic experience for most people. That's the opinion that I, I get from a lot of people, which is like, it was for me. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I can never imagine surviving that. There's a bit yeah. of uh, Lord of the Flies to traditional, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, American education, and I think it's changed now. Like where my kids go to school, there's a lot more acceptance going on. I think of people who are different, and the, you know, the there's definitely a different cultural shift. Yeah, although there is a there is still that element of uh, yeah, bloated of the flies is kind of the accurate way of putting it because it's from what I can tell, know. it seems like it's probably worse because now, like, if you're like not because okay, well, I don't know, like, if you're not like super left wing or something like that, like, oh, how dare you be a conservative? I can imagine oh, yeah. that being an issue in some of those some of those schools. Yeah, politics come up a lot. Oh and, God! And, and what and what's kind of interesting is is we have three children, and we're all all three of them are sort of they hear things at school, so they all mm -hmm. sort of come home and spout all of this political stuff that they really don't know about. And and they're they're too young to realize that politics blinds them from principles and oh, so uh, policy. Yes. Well, anyway, so I so I had a pretty good childhood, but you know I had some some personal issues, just like well, just well because I had gender dysphoria pretty much. And by the age of uh, let's see, twenty ten, I got Final Fantasy fourteen, an online game, my first online game because we just got an internet. We lived in such a rural area that we had a hard time getting internet, and so I was a bit late to that as well. Around two thousand nine, we got internet. Well. In 2011, I started, uh, January 6th of 2011, I saw the screenshots, I, I created a character on Final Fantasy XIV called Renoa Leonhardt, because I just wanted to take a name from one of the other Final Fantasy games, which I love, and I liked Renoa, she's a great character, but um, Renoa Hartley was already taken, so I was like, well, I'll, I'll mix two character names together, I got Renoa Leonhardt. I wasn't really thinking too much about it, I just made a character that I wish I could be, and... Uh, didn't really think that I would actually get an experience to live as that character. But then I realized 
oh, I'm making friends in this game. It took three months for me to make any friends because the game was a bit of a failure. Nobody really played, but there was a really dense set of players that like they'd played the previous version of the game at Final Fantasy XI. And so once I finally got to that, that like into the game a little bit, into the areas where a lot of players were, I started to actually meet people that were, they'd play like eight hours a day and I was playing like eight hours a day as well. And this was the first time for me to get friends. And I realized I should not bring my issues from the real world into this world. I should take this chance to not be the moody asshole that I normally am. I shouldn't like, you know, because like when you have issues about your personality, it's easy to also hate yourself for those issues. Well, if you if you're going into a virtual landscape and, and making friends, you can just take effort to ignore those those issues about your personality and well, at least uh, negate them. And it, it was a good it was a good ability. It was a good opportunity for me just to learn to to uh, break some of the bad habits I, I developed and be a nicer person. Well, I really liked being a, fem- a female in the game. It just really worked and. Uh, people were surprised that I was male, and it's like, wow, man, this this is this is actually kind of nice. Like it just uh, socially, it flows better. And uh, so I just uh, so that was kind of like several years. Like I dated in the game, had a lot of friends, still had the same friends a decade later, and well, nine years later. And it was at that point I realized, you know what? I've developed a really nice version of myself in this game. Like when I log into Final Fantasy. I'm a nicer person. I handle things better. And so I started moving that to the real world and I helped myself grow up quite a bit. But that was all synthetic. It was done like deliberately. I didn't really grow up like uh, through puberty very well because I was still struggling with all, a lot of those issues because testosterone threw me for a loop. It um, really kind of made me kind of insane, honestly. But as soon as I started gender transition, it oh, it just went so much easier. I could actually focus on things. I was I didn't have like I didn't feel like my thoughts were diced up. Well, I happened to to have my YouTube channel. It was just kind of a, a dead YouTube channel because me and my dad would upload videos about blowing stuff up on it or whatever. Which those videos are gone, but I, I I'll, I'll I'll re-upload those sometime. And uh, well, I started uploading v- videos from Final Fantasy, and so I changed the channel name to Renoa Leinhart. And then I started uploading a few things. Well, there was this one YouTuber named Ozzy50, which he, uh, he he killed himself last year. And he inspired me. Like, I saw his videos. And it's just a guy that records whatever he's doing. And maybe he's working on an air compressor. Maybe he found an old printing press of the dump. Whatever, old VW engine. He records whatever he's doing, but yet every single video does have like a story arc. And you can see like what well, it just seemed like a story arc at least. And I kind of just stole that. And that might be what you're noticing in my videos is his, is that storytelling style of how you just like more of just bring the camera along with you. Because I'm very, I very much, I copied his, uh, I, I copied Aussie50's style but in doing so i changed it so much that it became my own style as well 
just like from the first video, because, you know, it's impossible to copy someone fully. And especially whenever you're in a different country doing different things and with different projects, it just, you, and a different personality, you just develop a different uh, style. And I made a few videos. They didn't really get too many views until I got the, um, my first electric bicycle video. <laughs> whenever I was a kid, I spent like eight years trying to build a steam powered bicycle. It didn't go anywhere, but there was a long trail of like broken bicycles and engines that I hacked apart and a couple steam engines that I built. And so I decided steam power is probably not the best way for, for uh, bicycle power. And so I decided electric, but I didn't want to buy electric motor kit because they were like $250 at the, at the time. And I got an old treadmill motor and a couple of lead acid batteries and I welded them to my bicycle and I made a video and this was in December 2012, and it got like 120 views. It was amazing. And I got my first 12 subscribers from that video. It was amazing. Up until then, I had three, me, my mom, and my dad. And uh, after that, I just started making more videos, and it kind of snowballed from there. Within six months, I had 100 subscribers. Within a year of that first video, the first real video, I had a 1,000 subscribers, and then it just kind of kept going from that. In 2014, I quit my job at McDonald's that I had, and I started doing YouTube full-time. And around that time, in 2014, I made a friend with someone in uh, who, who, who also does videos. He has a little channel, but uh, turns out he worked at Apple, and he was putting together a team in late 2014. And he uh, he was interested in my problem-solving abilities. <clears throat> and so he had me fly out, and we did an interview. Interview was eight hours long. It was quite, a, quite an interview. <clears throat> and, well, I got the job. And it turns out the main video that he showed the other people was a video I did about an arcade machine, my favorite arcade machine, race driving. Just a second. I was getting dry. Uh, race Driving was the sequel or the modification of the world's first 3D racing game by Atari. And I just made a quick video opening up the back of it, talking about how it's a 1989 super advanced computer made from just like several square yards of old 1981 chips because if you just throw a bunch more chips into a cabinet, you can do pretty amazing things. And if you have a bunch of old chips laying around, uh, the the game companies would just take a bunch of those chips and throw them in the, in there. Because if they don't have to be like if they're if they're not space conscious, you can use like fifty seven ROM chips to hold the game instead of using one newer chip. And so I just like I kind of went over that in the video. And evidently, that's the video that that got me the job. But um, when I when I I flew out to Apple and. Uh, it was, you know, it was a really great, it was a really great job because it's funny. You don't realize how much rapid prototyping is needed for just everything. Like if the, if the big bosses are going to be showing a demo about some, I don't know, like some light sensor on the phone or something that someone's making or some weird app or whatever. Well, then they want this big, like, they want like a, almost like a theater type thing they can put it in or something like, so they can, they can control the lighting to show all the different things. And, uh, it's just all these different things where someone would come to me like, Oh, I need 37 tables made. And it's like, okay, well, when do you want to buy? 
tomorrow. Okay, well, I guess I'll go and get some wood and screw them together. Not, not going to be good quality, but here's your 37 tables. And uh, I really like that. And I also was, I'm a bit of a hoarder. I can agree to that. And I don't mind that because it also means I'm prepared. Because, for instance, I, I, I regularly have higher up people come to my desk like i i had the 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 like one of the vice presidents or whatever come to my desk like quick the sole shot fell off my shoe i'm gonna on a flight in 30 minutes i need some glue and so i pulled out my glue drawer at my desk and i was like well what kind of glue do you want and so i like oh e6000 here you go so i just held i just threw a roll at them when they took it on the plane and uh so i just i like being prepared like that and i always just seem to be prepared it was funny though my desk slowly accumulated stuff because there used to be a, a a shop out in California called Weird Stuff Warehouse, and oh, I've got like eight inch floppy drives from there, old computers from the seventies, everything. And you know, whenever you get something like that, and you 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 show it off on your desk, and you have like this big piece of a mainframe on your desk, because why not? And uh, you know, because my my desk was not in the lab area. Like there's labs, but then you have the main desk, like open office area where, where, where my desk was and so like all these programmers were around me and so like whoa that's a that's a 1978 crt or whatever well eventually i'd start coming back to my desk and there'd be another computer that just appeared there and with a note like hey have fun with this and i was like oh okay and then it's just that that kept, that kept happening until we're like like there's like x serves apple servers just appeared and all this stuff and it's like well well, thank you. And pe people gave me a lot of stuff, which is pretty cool, like oscilloscopes and stuff. Because whenever you make it known that you like old electronics junk in a place like that, people have a lot of old electronics junk. That's how, uh, electronics junk. That's how I got that Apple Lisa for free. Well, my Apple Lisa was um, it was from a, a person that had been there since 1982, and uh, he had his original Mac Macintosh. Uh, 128k and he brought it in and he turned it on it'd been buried in his office for so long that the capacitor went out so he flipped it on and released, released all this nasty acrid smoke and smoked everyone out of the building and so he was afraid to turn on the lisa because the lisa might do the same thing and uh, so i restored the, the the macintosh for him fully i actually made videos about it but i didn't i couldn't say who it was for um in the videos and he gave me the lisa for it which i still plan to restore except um i talked to steve wozniak asking if he could do it for me and and he, he told me he'd really like to do it but he doesn't have the time so i'm like well someday he might actually have time for that so i guess if i just let that lisa sit around long enough maybe me, me and wozniak could do a video <laughs> You know, I, I think what the overarching theme of what you're saying here is, mm -hmm. uh, in, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but... Well, I'm just saying, kind of like spewing all of my little, my little memories of, of it, and you can... Sure. Well, pro I, pro Probably best for you to figure out what it means. <laughs> well, I think, I think what it means is, is that you're a very curious person, which I resonate with. I think that it's like one of those small little pieces of of humanity that's slowly being um, bred out of us. I don't, I don't know if that's how you guys feel, but like when I look out uh, in the world, I think about all of the information that we now have access to. So like when I was in college, 
we actually had to go to a library and like look everything up, you know, and, and read books and all that stuff. Yeah. That's how old I am. And, and whatever. And, and I was like right on that edge. I was on the edge of the, the cusp of everything moving uh, away from uh, film to digital. Uh, books were being tra- uh, scanned and translated to digital. So we had uh, quicker, easier access to data and information. And I was just like walking out of, of basically a film lab because I have a film degree from NIU. And, and then, and then, uh, one of my senior projects was building nonlinear digital editing systems for the college and putting, you know, th- those pieces together and make them work. And when they saw, you know, how quick and easy we were able to translate film or video and move it to a, a machine and then, you know, scrub and, you know, categorize data and film and whatever else that was like rapidly accepted, you know, because of the time savings. And, uh, that's actually what got me, uh, I worked for Fox television for many years and, uh, was hired by Fox to uh, do the, the same thing. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a great job. It's my favorite job ever. And, um, my favorite job that I ever had not working for myself, I should say. And the, the job I had was basically doing that for them, you know, building prototyping, um, machines that would, uh, sort of eventually become like avid systems now where, you know, we were converting big production rooms, uh, over to these new digital nonlinear digital editing systems. And, uh, they were so lucrative, you could build them so cheap, you know, and then convert so cheap, you know, the affiliate system, how it works is just crazy. You could just send one out and basically implement it. Uh, pretty quickly over a weekend. And um, that when I left that job, you know, it was, uh, it was sad, but at the same time, I knew I wanted to do something in technology, which is what I do now. I I mean, other than my YouTube world, I own a small uh, computer repair shop and we fix electronics. And I learned all of that stuff while I was working uh, with these old timers, you know, replacing capacitors and soldering and doing all that. It's, it's kind of rare when I meet somebody in my industry now that can even solder, you know, it's, the, the curiosity, they don't even care. It's just a throwaway Or especially society. reforming an old capacitor. You don't see oh, that very often. Yeah, we just toss them because they're so cheap. But yeah, you're right. It, no, no, you know, the, the idea behind what we do is I, I can fix a blender and I can fix a, uh, a scale or I could fix a computer. And all of the electronics on the inside, the, the basis for how they work is the same. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, there's really no difference. So, um that, but that what we were talking about with the curiosity component and why I think mechanical comp- curiosity like what Trent has and technical curiosity like what you and I have, Renoa, is like it's I don't feel like it's I feel like it's being diluted because now when I want to know something, I literally open up a browser and I can have pretty much any information at my fingertips in like, say, 10 seconds. I mean, I could find somebody doing it. Uh, on YouTube, even you know, if I, I if I decide that I want to extend a swing arm on a 1991 Harley Davidson Sportster, somebody's already done it, and they have a video on that subject on YouTube, and I can watch them do it, and then and and follow how they did, and see their hopefully see their success, and hopefully see their failure because I can learn from that too. So segueing into YouTube and what you've done with your channel, which is the reason why I love it so much, is that I learn because through your failures too. And what you've been up to, you just don't filter it. And I think that that's one of the things that we're not seeing where we're, the, the YouTubers that are out there now today are turning the 
turning their channels into what television was 10 years ago. That's sickening. Edited, scripted, uh, has a formula and all of that. And there's a place for it. Don't forget to like I and subscribe. I know, well, I even say that. I have to. Uh, yeah, you have to. Part of I never say that. Yeah, I know you don't. And and I, But I'm like, I, I have this little spiel I do, and it sounds like <laughs> freaking Bob Barker saying it, you know. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it does work. You know, people subscribe to my channel because I remind them to do so. I said so. it once, and that video is still getting my subscribers. I hate it. It's hate getting it. you subscribers. <laughs> yes, hate I hate it. it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. So, all right, Brian, so, go ahead. Chuck. I, no, go ahead. Chuck. I have go three ahead. or four things that I would like to say regarding stuff that you and Renoa have mentioned. I'll, I'll just it. be brief. Um, I agree with you about the curiosity component, but I think it's I think it's a little more insidious than that. Uh, not conspiracy. I just think it's a, a progression of. What's corporately safe? Well, not just corporately safe. I mean, that is part of it. But I think it's this this disturbing trend we have as humans uh, trying to make everything as efficient and sanitary as possible. Uh, you see it with, you know, oh, this boy won't sit still in class. Let's give him drugs. Oh, you don't want to exercise or diet we've got a pill for that we you know we are trying to streamline the human experience and in a lot of ways i think we're actually short-circuiting the uh, evolutionary component of our genetic code uh i i wonder sometimes how many potential geniuses we're neutering with adhd drugs um not trying to get off on a political tangent or anything like that. It's just, it's... I love political tra- tangents, but it's the question of if the internet loves that. Yeah, <laughs> it's... I've had a hate mob after me before. It was it was a little, like, ineffectual, but it's like, oh, look at you, you're cute, but whatever. But it's, it's one of those things that just myself I'm curious about because we... What's that... I'm trying to remember who... I think it was William Blake. Man's reach exceeds his grasp. And just because we can do something doesn't always mean we should. And we're always learning after the fact, the law of unintended consequences. And I think someday we're really going to look back and just ask ourselves, what the hell were we thinking? I I like the fact that we have the freedom to do all of this crazy shit. what What I think of in terms of watching people create content on YouTube is... It, we that that grasp that reach that you were talking about Trent it is only uh through the beauty of that freedom that we have to actually go and do it and so many so few people actually get the the free time enough to do what we're doing and it it's, it's a blessing in my mind and uh it's something I work very hard for yes I always make this statement I always say uh in fact I was uh, I just got off the phone with Jesse he was on the um the show last week and uh, we were doing a little business talk and um, he, he's interested in being mentored. And I said, uh, I said, you know, the, here's my definition of true success. And it's just this in a box, doing whatever you want, whenever you want. A lot of people confuse money and success. I live in a very wealthy town full of a lot of wealthy people who are absolutely 100% miserable with their lives. And it's because they sacrifice their mind and their health to uh, have money later in life 
and they live in these uh, towers, you know, these condos on the beach, and they enjoy their, you know, their their dinners out. And a lot of them absolutely one hundred percent agree that they, if they could go back and change something, they would have not have done it that way. Even though their lives are beautiful now, and that they have this stuff, they don't have their health to enjoy it. So. My take on success is, you know, in my money making years, which is what I say, like probably between 20, I would say 25 and like, say 60, I wanted to have a balance where I felt like I could do whatever I wanted with my time and, and do whatever I wanted with the, the, the right amount of um, faculties, you know, that it's available to me, even at my age of 43, which a lot of people would say is not an old man, but I feel like an old man sometimes. Yeah, I get it. You know what I mean? I feel like I cannot think the same way as a 25 year old, you know, but I've got that back end experience that's holding me up. So when someone says, Hey, I want to do this, I go, eh, let's mix our two ideas together. Uh, You know, wisdom tells me that that's not very profitable or that doesn't make a lot of sense or you're going to blow yourself up. And then you come in on the, you know, the younger side and say, uh, with the energy, you know, bring the ideas and the energy and all of that. When you combine those two things, you've got a very powerful combination, uh, you know. So, and it's hard to find that in people where they are willing to kind of sort of set their ego aside and work uh, together in full on blind, like a lot of I don't knows are said, and a lot of people are are um, working together. But they're working together for the common goal, not to raise themselves up, but they see that the collaboration itself is the important key. Well, it's actually kind of interesting. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead, Renoa. Uh, that kind of reminds me of like an old person and a young person getting together. Uh, have you ever seen a person in my YouTube videos called Thermionic Man? Uh, I took a vacation or two up to his place last year. I haven't whole, seen that. For a whole no. month. Well, me and him get along really well. He's like, I don't know, 30 years older than me, than me or so. I'm like, I'm like about the age of one of his kids, but we've decided that whenever he gets old and retires, cause he's had a long history of, he, he worked at United repairing jet engines and stuff like that for the longest time and rebuilding aircraft, like 737s. And now he, he manages power plants in Milwaukee. And whenever he retires, we're going to buy like some land up there and we're going to start an electric aircraft company. It's a small one. Interesting. I think that people need to mix generational knowledge a lot more because he definitely has a lot of understanding about, well, business, of course, but also, well, aircraft and just everything. And then I have more of the, the wild ideas like, like, well, we can use lithium iron phosphate batteries and it'll be great. We can give it a go. And he can be like, well, hold on, hold on. Lithium iron phosphate is kind of expensive. Let's try a different one or something like that. But let's keep the same idea. We'll use batteries. And so that it's better not to have, because if you have people of the same age, it's much like if you have computers of the same um, specification, they can have, they can have the same error and they hit them all at the same time. Uh, that's why a lot of systems that are extremely redundant, they actually have another computer programmed in a different computer language compiled with a different compiler running on a different architecture. And that way, if there's ever any bug in your guidance system or whatever, or whatever it is, the first two computers might hit that bug so the same way that's like built into the system accidentally. But then the third backup system won't hit that because it's it runs an entirely different principle and 
So it's like diversity and experience, I guess. I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> yeah, it makes 100% sense to me. I, I feel like it, we, as a, as a society, we generalize people by their mm-hmm. age. You know, I just all the time, um, I deal with a lot of like older folks in my shop. And it's well, you know, in Florida, let's be honest. Yeah, 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 you know. So, you know, it's Florida, a lot of retirees down here. What do they call and, it? Um, Heaven's waiting room? Heaven's waiting room. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. We're we're all here to die at some point. But uh I think what's it's kind of cool because these people come in, right? They, there's and this is like the classic thing. When I was running service calls, when I first started uh, my company, um, you know, I was the the guy doing everything, right? So I was out and uh, running service calls, and I would be in like these eight million dollar palaces these houses with these guys and i would get and and no joke i literally did work for the real life mr burns i worked for a guy who basically owned a a a nuclear power plant in ohio and he had like 350 employees this guy he was such a nice guy he's he's still alive actually he's he's really up there now he's in his 90s and uh I, I mean, we would just sit there and while I'm working on his stuff, right. And I'm, and I'm doing mundane things like I'm programming his, uh, universal remote. Uh, you know, I might be setting up like a new mouse on his computer, very easy things that we take for granted. You know, we, we look at a mouse and plugging that in or hooking up a, a sound system, like it's no big deal, but to them, they, they need somebody like that. So I would get all of this great wisdom from these guys. You know, they would be talking about business and giving me all these great pieces of info. And I could still, to this day, call up Robert and be like, hey, man, um, you remember what we were talking about? And he's, his mind is as crisp as it ever was, but his body is failing him, you know? So I feel very blessed to have all of that wisdom just at my fingertips. I could call these guys at any time and they would all, you know, gladly give me um, any advice I needed you know, about anything. Hey, Brian. So, yeah. Do you this is a slight tangent, but I thought that I thought that you and Renoa would actually appreciate this. It I'm gonna plug a museum that I went to uh would have been two years ago. It's the American Computer and Robotics Museum in Bozeman, Montana. Oh. And it, 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 it have you been to the Computer History Museum in California? I have not. I actually try you to should. avoid it's California. Cool. Uh, okay, that's a good. That's a good point. Uh, my my only reason <laughs> I also avoid California very much. Though my, I love the state, I just don't like the traffic. My only reason for mentioning it is because it's it's literally right up your uh, intersecting interests uh, because it covers a gamut from like ENIAC up through like you know all the pop side pop culture references. Like they've got Robbie the robot and. They've got a Terminator exoskeleton in there and all kinds of stuff. And this is in Bozeman? Bozeman, Montana. And the weirdest thing, because it really is a great little museum, but it's in in like a strip mall looking building. No way. Yeah, but it's it's fantastic. Like it really is. If you look it up, it's acrmuseum.org. All right. Yeah, we'll check it out. That does sound pretty cool. Sounds, I, all sound- I know of Bozeman is there's a college there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of, of it's kind of a a hippie Montana town. It's like Boulder, Colorado, but Montana. It sounds like it has a lot of the things that the computer history museum does not. Uh, Cause the computer history museum in California, it has a lot of like, like Apollo guidance computers and like some really big name stuff, but it also misses a lot of the small stuff. 
And, and I, I like what you were saying about the pop size stuff where it brings in sort of these, these little, I mean, I don't, I've noticed there's a trend, right? If something pops up in, say, a real popular movie, it takes about five, ten years, but we eventually actually create it. You know, we, we kind of come up with well, that. You can, a whole bunch of you could you could there. make a really good argument that the modern smartphone is nothing more than a Star Trek communicator. Tricorder. Oh, totally. Tricorder, yeah. yeah, totally. Oh my God, totally. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right, I'm going to segue real quick because I'm going to talk about what I've got going on in the studio and workshop and um, I encourage you guys to be thinking about a project that you want to share with the audience. I had a huge win yesterday, and I needed it because I wasn't feeling all that great. I had um, uh, like a gallbladder attack on Saturday, and um, uh, it was brutal, man. I was fetal position for like, you know, 48 hours, and uh, I'm bouncing back, you know. But uh, anyhow, I'm, I'm fine now. But uh, I was... Um, I, I don't know if you saw in one of my latest videos where I prototyped just in CAD, I prototyped a buffing wheel attachment for the two by 72 belt grinder. It was a very rudimentary. Yeah. Device, I caught but, that. Um, yeah. So I actually built it. I ordered all the pieces and parts and um, it was a success. The video will be released uh, today, uh, which is the release of this podcast, which is Thursday. Um, it's, it was uh it was actually a lot easier than I thought. And because I've got the Crossfire Pro um, plasma table, I was able to draw that up and then print the plates and the braces and everything and have it assembled all within about four hours. Once I had the parts in my hands, it was just uh, knock it dead and it worked really well. I'm, I'm getting a little bit of vibration on the shaft and it's because I'm using... I'm using all thread, mm -hmm. which is not true, you yeah. know. Um, but <clears throat> I cannot figure out, and maybe you guys have a uh, an a, an alternative idea for me on this. If I go and buy, say, three quarters of an inch shaft, which I know will be more true than say a piece of all thread, how would I attach a, a pad like a, a polishing buffing wheel to the outside? There's got to be something I'm missing. And the, and the reason why I ask is because the simplest and easiest way I could come up with is obviously nuts and bolts, right? So you, you basically thread the nut on and put a lock washer and another washer and sandwich that thing in there and tighten it down, right? If I go with straight shaft, I have to find a way to keep that pad tight and so like a, it won't Like a spin. keyed shaft. And then yeah. a, a cast uh, disc at the end. Is that what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, he, need, he needs an arbor to support. The, the problem, especially with a buffing wheel, is the, the center is the center is made of the same material as the ref, rest of the buffing wheel. And the closer you can support that disc out towards the outer edge without interfering with the buffing, the, the truer it will want to run because you're, you're you know, you're supporting a, a flexible material. Do you, do you do you see what I'm saying? You need like a sandwich. Oh, I I, I think I'm in a sanding disc. No, it's not not a buffing wheel. No, he's sorry. making like a. It's it's literally like a, a buffing wheel attachment. The picture for that you grinder. sent me. You literally just sent me a picture. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, no. It's it's a. Um, it's if you can imagine, like we were talking about earlier uh, today, Renoa is um, like a bunch of pieces of denim all sewed together. And then on the outside, you put a compound, and it's like soft, like a fabric, and you would polish something with it. It's like one of those. I wonder if there's something like with like a Morse taper, a machine taper that could be done. A hub lock? That's what I was thinking. Like one of those tapered that. hub locks? Hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I've seen that. And and I've also seen where there's a, a like a, a, a almost like a locking mechanism that 
slides into the keyed portion of the shaft, and then you lock that down, yeah. and that's actually what holds the holds the piece holds the. Pattern. Hey, your son has a three D printer, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. I, this sounds like a perfect opportunity to uh, rapid prototype a three D printed arbor that will go on that shaft, but will also support the center of that disc. Hmm. I don't think it would support it going the RPMs that I'm going for. I think but at least I think be you'd to... be surprised. I usually, really? I usually, well, in the beginning when they were sort of becoming ubiquitous, you know, I made fun of trying to make stuff out of a weed whacker string, is what I used to say. But I've been really impressed with the slicer mechanisms and the different. Uh, the different uh, materials that are available now. I've seen some, I've seen some impressive stuff be fabricated using those 3D printers, the FDM printers. Oh yeah, I, did you see the video where I created a drive wheel yep. with a, and it's a honeycomb on the inside. Yep. The thing weighs less than like, uh, uh, it weighs probably like four ounces, and I spun that thing up seven thousand RPM, and it didn't explode or shatter or anything. Yeah, you you got to remember the the arbor is not really you're yes you're using it as a physical connection, but you're not using it as it's it's a support structure. It's not doing the physical work. It's literally a way to keep your wheel rigid and also attach it. You know what I mean? Yeah, so the buffer you. wheel and the shaft is doing all the work. The the Arbor when is just ar a support. Yeah. Okay. So I was confused. So you're saying the arbor, which is like a big washer, is what you're saying. Yes, but right. But you'd yes. probably want to. So you'd go from you'd have a, a three quarter inch internal hole, and then it'd be you know an inch or more external diameter, and then where it actually attaches to the disc, you want to flare it out to probably oh three and a half four inches, so that you've got a good solid base there in the center to. Yeah. To sandwich that makes it more with. sense. Well, okay, you guys are yes. talking about that. Would you mind if I go use the restroom real quick? Yeah, go okay, for it. Thanks. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah. No problem. So I see what you're saying. So if if I if I uh, I could potentially print that thing like a five inch diameter, yeah. and that would basically give me a nice solid. Yep. And I print two of them, one on either yep. side uh, for each pad. Yep. Yeah. I get what you're saying. For some reason in my head, when you said Arbor, I thought shaft in my head and I, I get what you're saying. It's basically like an, a big washer that would go around the shaft. Yeah. That's a great idea. I, um, it's good as it spins up now. I'd like to avoid the vibration cause it's getting, uh, at about 30 Hertz. I'm getting it like tunes itself. Right. It's almost like it just, it, it gets in, um, like harmony yeah. with itself for lack of better terms. That's exactly what it's doing. Yeah. And then, but if I go below that or above that, it's just like, it's, it's a little bit of a, what, what you, what you found is what's called the resonant frequency. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Resonant frequency. It, it's so kind of, it's kind of interesting when you watch the video, you'll notice the tools on my workbench. Mm -hmm. Jiggle and dance and they'll dance and then we'll kind of move across the, the tabletop and then they'll, they'll, uh, and then they'll stop. And that's when I've hit that, uh, that word you just said, the res resonant uh, frequency, resonant fre frequency. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but that was a huge win for me and I feel like I needed it because, um, my shop is a disaster and I've kind of like, uh, I ran into this, um, sort of mental block with my content creation and, uh, I, I just started, documenting what I was doing and uploading it to YouTube and, you know, figuring that whole thing out. 
And um, <clears throat> a piece of me sort of feels like I, I should uh, not do that. But then at the same time, I know that there's a good amount of the audience that actually enjoys it. So they kind of feel like they're hanging out in my studio and workshop stuff. I just, uh, I, I, you know, my, the piece of me wants to put out the best content possible and not just push out content that, you know, is, is, is just on the fringe of good, but I can't knock them out of the park every time. I mean, it's just, well, and I, I just can't create like that. I'm just not like, that. you also gotta, you know, getting back to the, to the authenticity thing. I'm, I, personally am so over this carefully curated content my my life is not for public consumption in in this uh neatly packaged disney-fied way you know if i share something with you yeah sometimes it's going to be rough and ready and that's how life is you know i mean do do what's going to make you happy because it's your life but at the same time i also understand wanting to have um you know, the, the way you present yourself, it's just like the clothes you wear and the way you speak and the, the way you comb your hair and the shoes you wear and yada, yada, yada. It's all part of the presentation. But I mean, you know, sometimes life is messy. You know, you're driving down the freeway and you blow a tire and you got to change it on the side of the road. And yeah, some, and would anyone want to watch that, I guess, is the question. Well, some, yeah. sometimes. I mean, I, watch I, I think I that creativity is far more messy than it is uh, beautiful and carefully curated i totally agree it's experimental and, and I think, again i go back to this statement but that's why i love watching renoa work it just it for me I, I see the process and that's the beauty inside of what her work is of her body of work you can really see that that it's you know it's not just uh content creation it's like hey come along and and the story arc that she was talking about which i really love and i think it's it's unique it's transparent it's genuine and i love it and that's why i asked her to be on the show and it worked out today because we were supposed to have somebody else on the show and and i couldn't get a hold of them they kind of contacted me later and said oh hey i'm ready to you know do the recording and i said oh, i've already got another guest but we're gonna revisit that another time but um so yeah. i actually have um like an overarching tree of goals. By the way, I'm back. Um, I have like an overarching tree of goals for all my projects. So a lot of them feed into other things. So it isn't just like I'm just ma- making it. videos for videos, you know? Yeah, no, no, not at all. I, I, I see a, a theme that like, of I basically feel like I'm watching like a 1900 hour long documentary of your life. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you yeah. feel like that? Well, my problem is there's all of these little things that have to feed into each other. Like, for instance, I want to build a rocket engine. But in order to build a rocket engine, I have to get all these parts. And I have to get a lathe. I have to get a lathe. And then I have to get a drill press. And the drill press has to be a certain size. And I have to get reamers to make holes. And it's all these little things. The process tree that I'm working on right now is yesterday I was going to take a nap. But I jumped out of bed because I had an idea. And I built a mobile mobile crane. Wasn't I not expecting that thing to work. But it, it can hold me. I built it. So then I can do my my other video, which is cleaning out that well, because there's a there's a washing machine at the bottom of it, and I need a crane to lift the washing machine out. Well, I need the wash I need the the well functioning so I can cool my workshop because it's really hot, and that's another video. But then I need that to get back to what I was doing, which is starting a company making wooden mallets to sell to my viewers. But it's too hot to work on any of that, so it's like all these things that I have to step back and 
open up a whole new path, like a branch of projects, just to continue the branch that I was doing. Well, you know how you, I, yeah. you know how you eat an elephant one, one bite at a time. That's it. I think well, that's, I, I, I think you said that in a video another. that a friend told you that wasn't him. I may have said that actually. Yes, I've been watching every single one of your videos, and I'm taking notes. Whenever I finish, I will go through all the notes that I've taken. No kidding! You actually (laughs) watch my videos? Is that true? Um, I'm starting from the beginning. Oh, you're going. You went way back then. Yeah. Well, I I I don't know anything about you, so I might as well start from the beginning. I'm in the middle of the wolf boat restoration or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I won't ruin the ending for you, mm-hmm. but it, yeah. Let me guess, a, uh, on fire in the lake or? It, it, yeah, it's a Viking <laughs> similar to the yeah Viking death. It had burned to the ground. No, I, I that that project uh, was like my the beginning of my midlife crisis, and then I got cancer. So well, then, well, then I, it looks like it was the beginning of your channel, too, because like, that's whenever I, I first noticed, like, wow, this guy's turned into a YouTuber. It's not just annoying videos about how to make checks mix or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, I actually have a trail mix video in there somewhere, but yeah, there, there it was, was like uh, video number four yeah 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 I, I didn't know what the hell i was doing but i had a chance see i'm like you i had a i had a tech channel and uh, the tech channel grew like crazy like it's you know went to like twenty thousand subscribers or something and i i did it all day you know it was like something i did all day long at work and i just like i had to abandon it i was just like i'm so burnt out with fixing stuff and pulling apart computers and soldering crap and then um and and I've had like numerous videos go way viral on that channel. And uh and I I realized that there was money in it when YouTube started sending me my checks. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, one day I want to get back into that and and create a different kind of content, more based on, you know, working with my hands and my mechanical engineering side of me that I've always wanted to explore and welding and creating whatever you know kind of like what i'm doing now and then um i fell into knife making and metallurgy and understanding how heat treating works i built a kiln i did all this other stuff and i uh i realized that you know in that world if you get sucked into it in knife making specifically like jeremy from simple little life talks about this he's like nobody really wants to watch me do anything other than make knives and he's like i'm i wanted to get away from that so he had to start a whole nother channel because that's just, you know, how YouTube works. And again, going back to your channel, it's like you do from one minute, you're doing this and the next and your audience follows along. It actually hey, started you- out as a hyper focused channel, though. So the thing is, uh-huh. I, I develop I started out as a hyper focused channel and I kept doing that. It was electric bikes, lithium batteries and how to restore lead acid batteries. And for like an entire year and a half, that's almost all I made videos about, which is like how to restore batteries, how to make e-bikes and how to how to build batteries for e-bikes. And I got burnt out and I decided, eh, I'm done with this. I don't feel like doing this anymore. So I'm just going to do something else. And so a lot of my viewers, they, you know, they, they, they spit and hiss a lot about, like, oh, I want another uh, e-bike video. What's all this blacksmithing stuff or whatever? But uh, they got over it, and whoever didn't like it, they left. So that's good. Yeah, they'll drop out, and that's what happened with the boat project. I had all these people. That's actually how Trent found me, but he stuck with me, and he's like one of the guys that whenever I upload something about a design concept or a prototype or something, he's like the guy. That's how I met Trent, actually, is the same way as I kind of met you is through YouTube. And, uh, you know, his comments would be like pages long and he'd be like, okay, so I think you need to do this, this, and this. He was very engaged with my work. So when he approached me about being my co-host on the podcast, I was like, dude, you have no idea. Like if I was going to ask anybody, I didn't know he, he would even have the time or the want to do it. So, 
um, I felt very comfortable joining, you know, joining forces with him on that. And, and it's, again, going back to me not fitting in in any crowd or any group. What I love about YouTube is I found my freaks. I found all the people who kind of think the same way as me. You know, they're all, yeah, the problem solvers, the DIY guys, the, all, all the people that want to like kind of come together and build something, even if it's more expensive to build it yourself, we'd rather do it that way, you know, and figure it out. Did I ever tell you how I found you? I think you did, but I, I think it was because I subscribed because of the vacuum pump channel or vacuum pump video. I you can't subscribed and, and YouTube I, every so often. Okay, I'm going to, um, this is a little like guilty pleasure of mine. I tend to look through the videos of the people that subscribe to me just because oh, they're, the they're it was so random. You never know oh, yeah, what it can I do be. it too. One oh, of them yeah. can be like a, like a cultural Marxist that's like down with the patriarchy. And then the next one can just be about like a, a hundred videos about dogs. I mean, it just, you never know what you're going to get. And uh, so I noticed like, well, sometimes I, I, a lot of times I first sort by like who's the most popular one. I check them out and I was like, oh, this, this person only has 15,000 subscribers and, and they do kind of interesting things about a belt sander. That's kind of cool. Because at the time I was trying to build one, I gave up and just bought one. But because um, I realized I'm not in the business of making belt sanders. I'm in the business of making mallets. I shouldn't waste time on that unless I'm going to sell belt sanders. And well, I do have a bit of, well, I don't see myself as a big YouTuber. But to smaller YouTubers, I seem like a big YouTuber. It's like, oh, they're they're interested in being my friend then all of a sudden. And so it's really cool because you can just like talk to a smaller YouTuber and they'll actually give you time out of their day to talk to them, which is cool because most of the time on the internet, people just ignore you, especially if you talk, talk to bigger YouTubers. And so I, I, I do kind of, you could call me man manipulative, but I just, I, I use my my big channel and my, 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 well, compared to them, like my, what I would call medium channel name and my reputation just to, to start talking to people and like, like make friends. And it's, it's really fun. And a, a lot of those friends that I've made, it's all helped me a, a whole lot. And like the, like, well, I'll make friends with someone and they'll say like, Hey, well, like Thermionic man made friends with him. And then next thing you know, I'm taking a month vacation up to his house and we're working on, moving his workshop and everything so you never know what you're gonna what you're gonna find whenever you make friends with people that um i guess you could say kind of look up to you or, or, or at least interested in your your stuff so i do tend to like look through all that and then i found your videos and like oh that's kind of cool and so i think i talked to you about like making rollers for the belt sanders but my my skills in the lay they're probably not good enough for anything you want yet but who knows about the future? But but your your general interest in forming a company because it seems like you're on your well on your way of having a nice little tool company, right? That is really what interested me in your channel. Oh, okay, yeah, the business side of things, yeah, absolutely, and that that's you know I think a lot of people are interested in what that looks like because American manufacturing went to the way of the dinosaur in the eighties, and then it's like now this guy in Naples, Florida, is building a grinder company from nothing. And I've never built a grinder before. I mean, like six months ago was my first or a year ago was my first grinder. And then I prototyped the one that I use now. And it's been built hundreds of times over in like probably 40 countries. People are building this device. And every single day I get video and pictures from all over the world 
of and what I didn't realize when I started that grinder project was that the like what we take for granted in the US is that we have access to all these like machine shops and people that'll build us stuff and I can go to them and say I need a seven inch drive wheel and it's gotta have this amount of crown on it, blah blah blah. In other countries, they don't have that and they don't have access to certain things, but they do have access to steel. So when I built this thing out of like just basic, you know, plate steel and tube steel, it resonated with a whole bunch of builders, like DIY guys who said, oh, finally, I've been wanting to build something like that, but I couldn't do it because I, you know, I don't have a laser cutter. I don't have this. And then they watch me do it with a cutoff wheel from Harbor Freight costs like four bucks. And it just, it, it exploded. It was, it's an absolute huge blessing to my life. And I feel like you know, the market kind of decided I was good at that. And um, since I've got you on here, Renoa, you're the perfect person to share this story with. Um, when I was, I was in my early 20s, I was working in a factory in Rockford, Illinois. This is a town I grew up in. And um, I was, we made way covers for the Caterpillar Corporation. And uh, we were one of like two companies in the whole world that made the covers that these big telescoping covers that go over the ways on CNC machines to keep the chips and all that from falling down into the, the V channels and such. Oh yeah. 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 And, uh, we use these polishers and the, these were pneumatic polishers and they were made by a company in my hometown, uh, called national Detroit. And uh, it was started by a guy named Roy Champagne, and uh, he got into abrasives back in the 40s and the 50s and and uh, created a, a bunch of really common um, tools that we all know today, like the random orbital sander uh, comes from that company. So uh, anyway, I go there, and um, because I need to have all of these polishers that we've been using, they the, over time, uh, we wear them out, and the bearings fail, and so we would take them over there to be reconditioned. I drop a whole load off, probably 20 grind or 20 polishers. And then a few weeks later, I go back to pick them up. I sign my name to, to pick them up. And the lady behind the counter, she says, Housewort. She says, are you related to Bob? And I said, well, I am. He's dead. He died when I was three. He's my grandfather. She said, you know, I used to work here. And I said, no, you're kidding me. She says, yeah, he designed the mechanism in the grinder that you're actually holding right now. And I went, what? And she says, come back here. Let me show you his drawings and his blueprints. So I go back and they, she shows me all the, the blueprints and stuff. And they held the patent on the device that would eventually become the random orbital uh, sander for 50 years. And uh, she's like, yeah, your grandfather designed that mechanism, you know, that makes it randomly orbit. And I went, man, that's crazy, right? So I go home and my dad didn't talk a lot about uh my grandfather, he was, um, he was a drunk, you know, the guy, he had a lot of, um, uh, substance problems and things, but he was a brilliant man, brilliant, brilliant man. And, uh, so I asked my dad, I said, you know, did you know that this, you know, grandpa does it? He says, yeah, you know, come down to the basement, he takes me down to the basement. And he pulls out the original prototype of the first random orbital sander and he plugs it into the damn wall and turns it on and it works. It still works. In fact, I have it right here in my studio. I still I keep it as a keepsake. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, and uh, I think about that, and I think about the my connection with abrasives because my whole life I've I've always been a handy person. I always like to polish things and sand things and grind them down. And I like to think if there is some sort of afterlife ether wherever people go, that my grandfather's watching me build this business and and uh, and do this kind of work, and hopefully he's proud. 
Uh, but uh, I, I I love that story because it it's like a little piece of history that was so random, so serendipitous at the time. I would have never known. My dad probably would have never told me the story. Maybe later in life, but uh, I would have never known any of that. And uh, it's a it's a it's a cool part of my family history. Well, it's, it's kind of funny. Oh, sorry. No, you're fine. It's kind of funny and sad how like people can lose their history and then they can just recover it by accident somehow. Like for instance. A few years ago, I made a video about an abandoned cemetery in Greenville, Illinois, and it's just like six little gravestones in the middle of a field that was uncovered whenever they were clearing out some trees. And I made a video about it, tracking them down. Turns out they were the people that pretty much founded the town of Greenville, and their graves are just kind of abandoned in a, a field. Because I, I guess they used to have a mansion near it. And, well, you know, I made the video. It was interesting. People, people liked it. Well, then all of a sudden, just two days ago, somebody commented they said that they uh they were going to greenville to meet uh, to like do something and like, maybe meet, meet family or something and they looked uh, they saw this video and they realized that was like their great 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 granddad and uh, turns out they didn't even know that they had any real roots in the town and they didn't know that their, their great 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 grandfather founded the town and stuff like that which is kind of like well that's you learn something weird every day, but it's it's a shame if they hadn't seen that video, no one would have told them, you know? See, this feeds right back into what you guys kind of started this conversation off with, because it is about recapturing your roots, but it's also about not forgetting where you came from, because by it, it is it is a wonderful thing that we've been able to take analog information and analog machines and convert them to digital platforms so that we have more access ever than than ever before. But we also need to not let that history escape us so that it's just ghosts on a hard drive. You know what I mean? I always think about that with all the photographs that I have on my phone. Even though I have it backed up, there was something about my childhood, about sitting down with my parents and flipping through the old photo albums, you know? And uh now those those photos all live in a digital realm and uh, they're not printed really and i think you know like whenever uh, a memory will come up on my phone of my kids and i look back and i go oh man my little boy all i got to do is touch the dang thing and then hit send and it goes right off to him so he you know i can share it with him but it's like in a virtual world you know um, it's a little different, but it's also like way easier and quicker. You know, I, I just, I love it, but you're right. I don't want to lose. I didn't want, I would have, I probably would have probably never known about that story about my grandfather had I not run into that lady. And then I, I think about like, is there, this is a whole nother conversation by the way, but I truly believe that there is one giant magnetic energy in the world that we're all a part of. And you can call it God, you can call it whatever. My, my concepts are very rudimentary. I don't have them like formulated really, but I believe that there is some sort of weird path that we're put on for a reason. And uh, I don't know what that reason is. I have no idea. I'm not smart enough to know, but uh, I feel like by doing the things I'm doing, by moving towards the things that I'm magnetically connected to, I find my that path, and I, and it's what people refer to as their groove, right? And I I feel like with what I'm doing on YouTube, what I'm doing, starting the business with the Grinder Company, and and just all in all doing what I'm doing, I have now in my you know early 40s found my groove. Whereas before it was chasing money, 
chasing, uh, you know, uh, relationships or, or chasing education, whatever it might been, might've been, but it wasn't really my groove. It wasn't really truly and like what you were saying, Renoa, about, um, your maturity level. You felt like you would be at a certain maturity, a certain time, and it didn't kind of hit you until you w- started looking at gender reassignment and working on what that looks like it, in my head. I feel the same way about myself, except it's really age related. I don't feel like I really grew up until I was like in my mid to late thirties. I mean, I, I was just a boy and I still am a boy a little bit, but like, I feel like that was kind of when it switched over for me and it took forever, you know, just to kind of find my way and find my path. But now that I'm on it, I feel like, man, all the, the energy is pushing. All the lights are green. If that makes sense. I, 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 I think I'll counter your thing by saying some of that like magnetism or whatever that that force that you feel that is guiding you could also be just a developed uh, intuition. Yeah, there are two words that fit the concepts you guys are talking about. One is serendipity, like how we kind of found each other, and the other is kismet. Hmm, kismet sounds like a sauce. Or a muffin. Uh, Something you would kismet. dip like a shrimp into. Kind of the secret kismet. sauce. Kismet is yeah. Kismet is an interesting concept. It's a little woo-woo, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, like, we don't really have words to describe it. And so kismet is that vocalization of that kind of – it's not deja vu, uh, but it's also – it's more than fate. It's just how amazingly odd everything happens to be. It's not as mundane as you would expect sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I use the word kismet a lot, but I don't fully understand the definition. It's I've not heard the term before. I'll have to look it up. Yeah, K I S. It's a Jewish word. K I S M E T. Hebrew. Yeah, I, is it Hebrew? It's probably it's Kism- probably Yiddish. Yeah, Yiddish. Yeah, it's. I think from my understanding, kismet. It's like it was meant. The, like the, meant to the be. Best way I can put. Meant to yeah. be. Yeah, that's that's when I hear it in uh, in in conversational tones. I think, oh, this must be kismet. You know, it was meant to be. We were here together, and and that's why I love the beauty of our age. Is that we are in an age where uh, all three of us would never have met. Never in a million years would we have met. Yet somehow. We are put in a in a space. The internet created a space for us to be one hundred percent openly ourselves and connect with each other, and then have awesome conversations where it's recorded and hundreds of people will listen to it. And uh, hopefully, they will find some sort of um, they will some sort of information that they can glean from this. If nothing else, they were entertained. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So, um, I've I've been writing writing down things that. Uh, throughout this conversation that I didn't quite have the right words to say just yet. Uh, do we still have some more time to talk about yeah. stuff? Yeah, okay. yeah, let's so, go with it. The first sure. thing that to be uh, probably about an hour ago when we were talking about curiosity, um, you mentioned how like people, uh, it's good to seek curiosity and whatever. But I actually found that the lack of curiosity, like I need my curiosity sated. And that's why I left Apple. That's why I left California. Because when I went out there, California was actually pretty amazing, at least like the Sunnyvale area, because we had we just over our house. We had halted electronics. I made friends with another secret recycling center. I'm like buddy buddy with the owner, and he lets me rummage through all this stuff, even though it's not open to the public. But one by one, those junk shops went out of business, 
And they'd been there since like the 70s or 80s. And also at work, I stopped learning. I kind of more just started doing the same things over and over. And, you know, after two years of doing a job, you kind of learn a lot of what is expected of you. Or you learn some of those things you'll never learn when you're trying to do it. You have to step back and learn on your own. At least that's how I do it. Like, for instance, I realized my metalworking skills were horrible. I also, my, 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 my stress management skills were horrible. Like, I get stressed out really easily over nothing. And so I realized, you know what? I need to quit this job, come back home, build a machine shop, and just learn skills. And that's what I'm doing now, is I'm still in the process of learning skills. I didn't expect to go into architecture, but that just kind of happened. I just started restoring buildings and then I started building buildings and it's just become a thing where I've kind of into architecture now. But uh, I have a, a brick shed that I'm building next. So I'm going to hopefully use that mobile crane that I built for that. Oh yeah. And like, do, do you have anything to say about that? Because I can just go down the list of things that I was going to say, but I didn't have the words for. I think uh, what comes to mind is Gary V talks a lot about um, these people who are young, who uh, learn a video game and they want to become say like the next PewDiePie mm-hmm. and they want to like create a YouTube empire and stuff. And the gaming niche is very saturated. So it's really difficult to sort of get recognized in that niche and they feel down on themselves, right? They're like, they, 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 they approach Gary and they say like, Oh man, I spent a year playing this, out-of-date game and no one plays it anymore and i felt like i was going to start a channel with this and i wasted this entire year learning this game and he's like no you didn't you you took that year and you educated yourself on what it's like and now you're walking away with all that information what will you do different in the next round of of your learning experience and a lot of people don't dedicate that amount of time to anything anymore. So, you know, you didn't lose. You're not a loser. You didn't fail. You just learn something and you move forward. And uh, I, I can, when I was a kid, it was like Nintendo, Mario Brothers, Atari, the whole deal. And we would spend entire summers playing those games. And I feel like that my ability to completely dismantle any electronics all the way down, say 90 screws deep with motherboards, logic boards, whatever it is, screens, I don't even have to think about it anymore, is directly attributed to my understanding of the Mario Brothers world. And I know that's a weird connection, but I don't know if you guys find patterns in games But developing those patterns in those games where, you know, you could play uh, Super Nintendo, you could play those games and you could go all the way through Contra, you can go all the way through and play them all the way through. And it's because you memorized all of the movements and the spaces that you needed to be in. I now have that capability and I directly relate it to those video games that I played when I was a kid. It was learning for me. It's not just when my kids, it's not, it's not just uh, video games, Brian, it's uh I consider myself an aggregator. What people don't realize, you know, you can attribute something to a pattern like that. The brain wants to patternize things. Uh, But when you can actually differentiate between, you know, your brain playing a trick on you, an evolutionary trick on you and your actual ability to discern, you know, simple patterns, whether they repeat or they're complex or they're simple or whatever, uh, but I'm an aggregator, so what I like to do is I, I like to nerd out, deep dive on something. But what's interesting is once you actually understand a subject and you actually get some hands-on experience with it, 
you can see how it actually overlaps with another interest or how integrating it with a separate interest would actually make it a different field altogether. I've really been thinking about intuition a lot lately, and I, I see a lot of parallels to what you're saying, like how we learn things sometimes without even realizing we're learning them. Yeah, and it's a game especially. Oh, something else that, that we had talked about earlier that I needed time to process was uh, you, you, you were talking about that one person, the, the problematic customer, and you were saying how some people, like they're, they're told they're gifted throughout their life and they think they're like the smartest. And so if anything bad happens to them, it must be someone else's fault. I have had a different experience with that, which is interesting. Ever since I was a kid, I've been told I was gifted and it felt so weird because it's like, well, I'm not that smart. So what is it exactly that they're saying? And after a while, I realized it's not that they're telling you you're gifted. It's that I mean, the individual might be saying that you're smart, but society as a whole, whenever they, whenever people unanimously tell you you're gifted, really what they're saying is you're gifted with the duty to not be mundane. You're gifted with the responsibility to be better because we expect that of you. It's not that you're any better starting off because whenever I think about my childhood and stuff like that and just everything since, I've always just by society been given a, a green light to do kind of anything. I could be building my own explosives in my backyard and no adult really cared. But if one of their kids did it or one of the other kids did it, they would be like in shock. But if, if I did something technical or weird, they'd be like, ah, oh, it's just Ren, whatever. And so I feel like growing up, I always had this free pass to experiment. And that was like coincided with the same people feeling that I was gifted. It's not that it's not that I was smart or anything. It's just that they they expected that of me and say, well, of course, we're going to be doing that. They're gifted. You're bestowed and as the keeper of the flame. <laughs> I can see that. Okay. That's a, that's a good thing. Um, well, then I also noticed like a lot of people, they think that, well, everyone that's gifted must be going to university. And so whenever I didn't go to university, I noticed a lot of people became very disdainful towards me. A lot of those people that used to say I was gifted and they, I, I get the feeling that gifted people i'm saying that with like air quotes gifted people have a lot further to fall even though they're, they're the same distance off the ground because there's more uh, expected totally from them yes and totally agree. well then all of a sudden then all of a sudden whenever i got my job at apple well then it just flipped totally yep. because i oh i guess maybe you have done something amazing you're not a total waste of our time and so people were saying i was gifted again it's like odd but I guess this is just how he, uh, society, humanity, sends a signal to an individual to do harder, uh, to, to try harder than is expected of them. Well, is expected of, the, of an average person. But what are they seeing that you may not see? Because you're living inside the bubble. Because I had a very similar experience. I was the kid that was always taking apart the alarm clock. And, you know, um, I, I was gifted like a lot of old electronics when I was a kid. So I could just take it apart. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because I wore glasses and I looked smart or something. I don't know. But I didn't feel that smart. I still don't feel that smart. But it's almost as if society just decided like, oh, Brian is going to do amazing shit with his life. And then, you know, meanwhile, I'm just... I'm just like a normal dude. I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what, what they're seeing. And, Cause I see it in you too. And I, and again, it goes back to curiosity in my mind. When I watch your channel, 
I see this unwavering curiosity that drives you to do things and film yourself doing doing them because I think you fully would do this stuff even if there wasn't a camera involved. Well, I've been doing you, it since you, I was a kid. You 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 will be doing it probably t- ten times as much because you wouldn't have to adjust a camera every exactly. five seconds. You guys, and so that's what's interesting to me. It's like why I see it, I see it in you, and I I don't know if gifted is the right word. Well, but like I, I will know, say though, like th- I what I just word, said actually. about. Gifted being a a gifted duty to people, that is the hum, humble side of me saying that. But there is also the more what's the term vainglorious uh, uh, side where I'm just like everyone around me is an idiot and I can't stand being with them. However, whenever I went to work at Apple or even just Silicon Valley, every so often you'd meet someone. Although whenever I was like in the office, it just seemed like whoa, I'm just. I'm with people that are smarter than me. This is amazing. But whenever I'm here in a rural town, I I do have that issue where it can be difficult. Like so, sometimes you do you, you do start cursing people around you because it's like, man, these people are so dumb. But that also is like something uh, you shouldn't be prideful, you know. You guys and so sorry. You guys are I I'm, I'm actually pretty much done with that. Yeah. You guys are touching on a couple of uh it's not just psychological. It has to do with the whole tribalism aspect of the human existence. But you guys are, are touching on something that I would call the uh, primal archetype. Um, it, you're being put in that uh, – not just you guys. I mean because I was, I was kind of there too. You know, I was, I was not a very good student when I was going to school. And then uh, they were getting ready to put me in like remedial classes and they gave me, you know, an IQ test and had a, a psychologist um, come in and, and we did all kinds of tests and stuff. And they're like, oh, you're actually really intelligent. And, um, you know, you read it like a, I, in fifth grade, I read at a college uh, level and I, yeah, so they're like, you know, you're not challenged enough. And I was like, well, yeah, I've been telling you that for years because they're like, you know, do your homework. Why? I already know the subject. Well, you got to do your homework. If I pass the test, why do I need to do the homework? Because we told you to. Well, that's part of my anti-authoritarian thing. So anyways, the the problem is that with the primal archetype, you know, you've got like the hero and you've got, uh, you know, the the villain and you've got all of these different things. Well, we kind of, anytime we stand out in a field or in a, a realm, uh, it's, it's what we do with athletes. We put them in the hero category, even all the, though all they're doing is they're playing a game with a ball or a stick. They're not heroes. And I'm, I know already I'm going to get a lot of backlash for that. I'm sorry, playing a game for millions of dollars where literally life is not online, that's not heroic. But, we translate that. So we've kind of been, and it's not just, I'm not just saying us three are unique in that. What I'm saying is that us three have similar experiences where we are put in a niche. And when we do anything that disappoints them as to what their idea of people like that do, um, you're, you're judged hard, more harshly than you probably should be. You know, that's the disappointment and the the um, disengagement, like, oh, well, you, you let us all down. Uh, but yeah, that, that's the problem. We're, we're very tribal creatures and we, we, we want, 
you know, we want our shamans, we want our medicine men, we want our heroes, we want, you know, we want to know that the the blacksmith can w- make weapons in time before the the hordes descend on us, and we want to know that the mothers will raise good, healthy children, and and all of that. And we just as a people, that's because there's safety. Yeah, we, you know, that's we, that's we want our we want. knights in shiny armor, and we also want our dragons to challenge us. Yeah. And yeah. it's a it's an interesting idea that we're still very tribal, even though we are we're many many generations removed from that tribal life. You know, a lot of us live in houses all by ourselves. I I I want to I want to uh, segue one more time, just because uh, we are getting to that point. We're at a, an hour forty, if you can believe it, uh, and it's been such a great conversation. But I want to ask Renoa this and find out um, what – I asked this question last week with uh, Trent and um, Jesse, and it was a fascinating answer. Uh, if you could meet anybody in history, doesn't matter who it is or what time they lived in, who would it be and why? Hmm. I would meet myself in an alternate timeline. Ooh, that's a good answer. That's a really good like answer. A, because like that would tell me more about future myself. Future or past. Yeah. Future or past. Or parallel future, universe. Right? Parallel universe. I would meet oh. myself. See, just I, I don't know. Just see what happens. Yeah, see how you yeah. turned out in a different set of mm-hmm. circumstances. I like it. Or I, I would like meet it. someone that I should meet, but but am not don't know anything about. Like for instance, someone that was just lost to history. Yeah, that's a great answer yeah. too. Yeah, I, I will say, Trent, you do seem like you are really introspective, and I like your input on things. I'm. What you were saying kind of leads into the next thing that I was thinking about was um, we were talking about generations and how older people are wise. I've actually noticed that like the silent generation, the people that lived through the Great Depression and stuff like that, they were they seemed a lot more wise than the baby boomers. I know it's not good to generalize, but I do wonder if consumerism has eroded a society in a way. I would say it's we are a product of the struggles we face. And the baby boomers, not to take anything from them, because I actually have friends who are, but they had the best and they've left the preceding generations with the worst. Uh, Brian and I are Generation X. Uh, we were the first forgotten generation. You know, we were latchkey kids and we grew up with Nirvana and Soundgarden and we were thrust into the world from high school into you know, a recession and wars. And then we went on to raise millennials and Generation Z. And now all the focus is being put on them. And I'm not crying for our generation, but I think people don't necessarily realize the impact that the the, the culture of consumerism and that growth at all costs has actually had on everyone but the boomers because the boomers got their pensions you know we don't we don't have pensions we might not even have social security uh our kids are graduating college that cost 10 times more than what brian and i paid to go to college uh and i think that regardless of helicopter parenting and social justice warriors i think that the millennials and generation z and whatever comes after i think that they're going to be um going through some really hard times and i think that we'll see some yeah but i think we'll see some wisdom start to reoccur with those generations as they yeah not just come to age but as they come into power 
we'll start to see some we'll start to see some wisdom reemerge. I think my biggest growth point was when I quit my job in 06 and the and the United States experienced the worst economic disaster since the Great Depression and I was forced to, to survive. I mean, I grew up middle class, you know, and I I didn't know what it was like to be hungry and uh, and then about uh 15 years later, I would watch my children be hungry and that was like mind-blowing to me. But at the same time, what I did was I rose to the occasion, did what I had to do to make a living, to rise my family up and and make a difference in their lives and stuff. And I often wonder like, okay, what would I be like if none of that actually happened? And it's a good thing. I think it was a good thing. You know, I, I, I still hate what happened. I dislike how it all went down. But I think that it changed me for the better as a human. Growth being. is always painful, but the results we get from it are often worth the pain. And the thing that makes us grow, is, well, it kind of leads into the next thing that I like. The last thing on my list was guilt as a YouTuber. Uh, for the longest time, when I was making videos, I feel like, oh, I'm making money. I'm, I deserve this. But now, I make like five hundred dollars a month, maybe sometimes eight hundred dollars a month, and. I just feel an overwhelming sense of guilt that I don't provide enough to necessitate me making money. And that's one of the reasons why I feel like I, I just, I need to start making something to sell. Not t-shirts, not something that's useless, but something that's actually useful, like a, a mallet or a step stool or something, a product that when people pay money, they get an actual thing they can, they can use. Do you? A tangible I, I item. Have a great. I have a, I have a, a really interesting point to make on that. Here's what I've discovered. My subscribership is, is a quarter of what yours is, right? Yeah. But, um, people want a piece of me. So when the, some of these guys that are buying these pieces and parts of my grinder, they have no use for them. Some of them, they just buy them. You know, they like one guy was like, oh, I want to buy that. And I want anything that you provide, I'll buy. And I'm like, you don't even make knives. You don't, you know, you're not even a metal worker. He's like, no, nah, I'm, I, but I want your grinder in my garage. I, I think there's other uses for it. They want to support uh, my work and they want to know that they're doing that and they feel much more sort of good about it if it's not like merch, you know, merch yeah. is like one of those things where I, you know, stickers and t shirts and all that. And we sell that stuff. It's just, it doesn't sell very often. It's just not what people want. But, from my standpoint is uh, I get people that just donate money to my channel through Patreon and through buy me a coffee, which by the way, Renoa has. So if you do join up on her channel, you know, um, to support what she does, it's really important to, uh, to do those things if you can do it, of course. But the, um, the, the, I read this really great book and I'm going to, I probably will push this book every single show because it's, it changed the way I create content and how I look at my audience. And it's called the art of asking, and it's basically somebody who started a band back in um, the the late, uh, I think the early 2000s. And she created like this entire world around herself because she got a million Twitter fo followers. And she would just start asking people like, hey, I want to make a record. Can you fund me? And she got, she was like one of the first crowdfunded records, you know, that was produced. But what she was saying was, is that you ask your audience for help and you say like, hey, I, I want to do this for a living. You get a lot of enjoyment out of what I've created. What can I do? And like your mallet idea, Renoa, is fantastic. I think you, you, I think you'd sell out fat. I think you'd become so crazy busy, like you'd ha you'd be so annoyed with making mallets. Well, my main thing is that I feel 
a deep sense of I'm not doing enough to improve things or make, make a lasting impact because I look at my videos, in two weeks they get no views. What am I doing? Videos as a service? Or should I be doing some, working towards a larger goal, you know? Well, I think that's for you to decide. Don't let the yeah. audience decide for you. I didn't know if anybody else had that sort of I, I get that Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. This, my my question or my response isn't just to Renoa, but it's also to Brian. I guess I'm going to be the downer here because I'm going to say enjoy it while it lasts because I have a very, very ugly feeling that things are going to yep. get really uncomfortable in the near-term future. That's why I have like four years of uh, money saved up and I have like, I'm trying to branch out into different forms of payment. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there is some impending change coming yep. and um, that's that's something to be well aware of if, and if I agree you're not with part that. of one the big networks you you better get lost you know and and yeah, I'm not know, I'm though, not trying think- to be negative because I really like what Brian is building here uh, you know it's it's a supportive community and it's more about hope and less about you know old men yelling get off my lawn uh, but I think that we always always as a as a species and as a culture I think that we always need to keep in mind that the good times won't last indefinitely and that we have to develop that resilience and that grit so that we can build that better world that we want. And it also kind of makes me wonder if, if I even should be making a company, if the, if the town is going to keep sending me $150 ordinance violations for having logs in my backyard that I'm cutting up. You know, it's like it, sometimes it, it just – it's a lot of things coming at once. And it reminds me of something Elon Musk said about starting a startup is it's like staring into the abyss and chewing glass. <laughs> I'm starting to see that a little bit. Ah, yes, yes. Well, I, I encourage you to do it anyway. And, and uh, I would I would highly think I would support it, at number one, and I would help you support it through um, obviously buying a mallet, but then also um, promoting that. And then l- looking at what you're doing as a whole, as content creation goes, I think that what you do is very valuable because it gives a window into your world. You have a very unique perspective. And um, I think that's something that everyone should learn from and see. And also uh, on that one, on the flip side of content creation, I know that there's like this, this concept that maybe a lot of people think that the small guys like us are going to get pushed aside to the bigger networks and all. I will say though, that I think there is this beautiful sort of groove niche that you get into and you find, you know, your, your audience and they, they will follow you along in that process because there's a ton of people that are not Hulu, Netflix watchers. They're, they're people that want like the real life. And there's a lot of like people who just kind of want to hang out, but they, they're introverts. So they want to learn and they want to see. So when, like for me in watching your channel, Renoa is, I feel like I'm hanging out with you and, uh, and I will kind of go back in your catalog a little bit and kind of bounce around and see what interests me. But for the most part, I watch your channel cause I want to know like the update, like, what are you up to now? Like what's today look like for you? And that's where I would assume most of your audience is. They want to kind of follow along with your journey and they want to see where you're at right now. They want to see what's at the if bottom of that well a- when I dig it up. Exactly. Oh, yeah, totally. There's going to be so yeah, many and, bottles and, and tools and that stuff down there. Yeah, I'm sure there's dead some cool stuff down there. Yeah, Th- this reminds me bone. of like okay, one last story for the podcast. My great 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 grandfather in Scotland was digging a well. He dug it to a hundred feet, and he couldn't find any damn water. <laughs> he 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 was drunk and he was pissed off and he threw up 
who all of his tools down to the well, filled it up another 50 feet. A week later, it stormed and it filled up with water. So we actually tracked it down. We know which well it is. So down there are my great, 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 great grandfather's tools from like 1823. Which Iron is, fortified. Which would be, fun, which would be funny to dig those up. But he had to dig through the 50 feet of mud to get to it. So I don't know. Hey, that's maybe that's like a documentary you create where you actually go over there and, Oak Island and type dig thing. them all up. What, yeah, what it'd called. be really cool. Yeah. Well, listen, guys, we're right at the two hour mark. We're at Perfect an hour fifty three. Yeah, yeah. And I want to tell you both, uh, always, uh, Trent, love hanging out with you, brother. Thanks. It's always a good time to have you on the show. It's and good being here with I you. I appreciate you. Yeah, man. I appreciate your insight and your unique perspective. And I just want you to know how much I really look forward to recording these. And um, I can definitely like see why light. Trent's such a valuable person on the cha- on the the podcast because you really I do help bring like a lot it. of. Uh, more informative, uh, informed opinions, I guess you could say. You've thought about yeah, things. I, I'll, I'll take that. I, I, what I like about Trent is that uh, he sort of, uh, he fills in the gaps where I don't have the knowledge. So like if I, if I say something, I'm like, Trent, help me out here. He kind of comes up and, and pushes forth and says, oh, no, 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 this is what you mean to say. And I love that about him. It, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing to have friends like that that can kind of step in and, and not step on your toes, but also like just help you along the way. Maybe next time we can and, talk about ancient philosophy. Maybe. Oh, that's right up Trent's alley. He loves that. Yeah. I yeah. haven't read Plato and yet. I've, I have a couple of books. I'm just going to read them. This is way above my pay grade, by the way. I'm still over here chewing on screwdrivers, by the way. And uh, They'll yeah, make your tongue I'm, go numb. I, hey, you know, it is what it is. They taste okay to me. But, uh, and, and Renoa, thank you so much for coming yes, on and giving us your story. There's so much more to learn about you. So we well, love to have I you I plan to be on more because it's so nice to be on someone else's channel where I can just, oh, I'm not having to sit down. I, yeah. I, for every 10 minutes I film, I don't have to sit down for 10 minutes to edit something. I can just yeah. leave it to you and you figure it out. I'll figure it out. I'll make you guys all sound and, and look good. Um, you know, as, as they say, I have a great face for radio. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm always uh, willing to make others look just as good as, as I do. And tell you what, I'll, I'll go out and get some nice footage that we can loop and you could have it on your YouTube channel. And so yeah, like some like looping cool. footage of something neat. Yeah. Maybe, I, maybe I, a train I, going I, by. Uh, I know. I heard the train in the background, by the way. That's one thing I miss about Illinois. Yeah. Is all the trains. There's like, you know, basically Illinois is like the hub for a lot of train stations and, and all Ooh, the train I wonder, traffic goes I might there. have some high speed footage of a steam traction engine engine running at high speed, That'd but in cool. slow That'd motion. Be, That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love oh. to see that. And some of your 16 millimeter stuff you shot, uh, the, the stills that you sent me earlier are just. Uh, it, that one of the R2D2, not to get off on a yeah, tangent, yeah. but like the, oh my God, like it almost, it was like, wait, is this, was this shot in like 72, <laughs> like right before the movies were yeah. made? Like what's going on? It was here? a, it, it was a film ac- accurate R2D2. It's my friend, C- Curious Marks R2D2. Yeah, that is so cool. That I would love to even, we could have a total conversation about, um, all of that as well. I'm, I'm sure the, oh, the and next time we can talk about, uh, like thermal cameras and night vision and stuff like that. Yeah, you have quite a collection. Yeah, which I've been collecting those for some reason. Mind. Yeah, no, it blows my mind, all the stuff you Speaking have, so of which, really cool. sorry to tangent again, uh, I found a guy a couple of months ago on YouTube that I think you guys would really enjoy. I think he's right up your alley. I'm not trying to just, you know, spam everything, but his name is Robert Murray Smith, and he's an older gentleman. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, he's great. Fantastic. Uh, he has a lot of graph- graphing stuff. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I've watched him a lot years ago. I can't, I can't remember for sure what I disagreed with him on, but I'm not so much into the theater articles. Yeah, stuff, you I seem guess. a little sour. Like it, you, that name came up, and you were like, ah, "I don't know about well, that." I, I remember I had like a big, dis- like a little, little disagreement with them a long time ago. Uh, I, I just like, like I don't know. I, I guess I guess sometimes it feels like people go a little bit too far into the theoretical and not so much into the practical. I get that. I don't know. I just thought that he'd be interesting for you guys. Because yeah, definitely. Of your interesting field. Person. Well, we'll send me a link to his show, and I'll put it. Uh, I'll put it on the the show notes so people can go out and decide for themselves. I don't know who he is, so I'll check I'll, him out. I'll, I'll send you an email so that you can check it out. Fantastic. Well, listen, everybody, thank you so much for joining us on this show today, episode number three of Work For It. I'm Brian House. You can support my work. Uh, you can support Renoa's work uh, through Patreon and through uh, Buy Me a Coffee and obviously going to YouTube and checking out all the things we have there. You can find me on Instagram at house underscore underscore work. And uh, soon enough, Trent will have his own Instagram where you can go on there and you can troll him and <laughs> you can um, say all kinds of mean, nasty things to him. No, don't do that. Um, and uh, but I've been urging Trent to sort of climb out of the, um, you know, he's he, being on the podcast, by the way, is quite the uh, both feet into the pool, man. Like you went right straight in. So uh, next step is like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You're going to be up there. You're going to be doing all that stuff before that too long. That sounds awful. I can't wait. <laughs> Hopefully I'll be able to sell my mallets eventually from HillsboroughTools.com. Nice. Hillsboro Tools. Is that your website? Yeah. Hillsboro Tools with an S. What's Hillsborough? Uh, the what town. That? That's where you live. Well, right it's a town ne- town next year because Taylor Springs is is doesn't sound like a good company name, but Hillsborough does. Yeah. Taylor Springs sounds like you're selling water. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like Radiator Springs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like it. So, well, listen, guys, thank you so much. And if you hit that follow button on whatever feed you're listening to uh, right now, you can uh, get a notification every time we continue to upload good content, good weekly content on the Work For It podcast. Thanks so much. Hope to catch you on the next episode. My name is Brian House, and this has been Work For It. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.